you, uh, you may be aware, this may be a little bit of an understatement, but you may be aware that the Church of Christ is kind of into baptism. We're, we're, it's kind of one of the things that we like. And, if, you know, if you're a good Church of Christ person from a COC, as we like to call us ourselves insiders, then this morning, like, it's just, it's hitting all the right buttons for you because we had communion and we're going to talk about baptism. And then after the service, we're actually going to have a baptism. So you're going to be like, oh, this is Church of Christ to the core. Uh, and I realize that talking about baptism, uh, Many of you in here are baptized, and so you're like, well, you know, it's something I did. Like, you know, why talk about it? Yeah, why talk about marriage if you're married? I mean, who needs to talk about it, right? We've already been there, done that. But I think that we need to talk about this because if, if, uh, if you've been around the Church of Christ, it's kind of like if there's a motto, you know, that we could have, baptism would probably be right up there. Yeah, we're kind of into baptism. Um, and I used to, as a Church of Christ kid, I used to look to get into arguments about baptism. Not to avoid them, but get into them. You know what I mean? If somebody came along and they started bringing up that sinner's prayer stuff, I was like, oh, here we go. This is going to be exciting. I remember even online sometimes, you know, finding chat rooms where you could argue about baptism. It was so much fun to argue about baptism uh, because it's like I felt like I had all the answers. So somebody would come along and they'll be like, they would say something goofy like, oh, well, what about the thief on the cross? He wasn't baptized. And I would be like, get your weak arguments out of here. Jesus hadn't even died yet. How could you be baptized into his death and raise the newness of life before he's even dead? Get out of here. Mic drop, right? You know, that kind of thing. Um, or if people would, you know, say things like, well, what if, what if you're on your way to get baptized and you get hit by a dump truck? Well, what if you're on your way to say the sinner's prayer and you get hit by a meteor? You know, get that out of here. And I would love to have in these arguments, right? And because there's nothing greater than arguing a person into baptism. That's the best thing, right? And it always works. It always works. People just, oh, they're humbled by the weight of your arguments and they're like, oh, I must get baptized now. It's like getting married because somebody argued you into it probably not the greatest place to start. Now, you may have all the answers. I felt like I had all the answers, but it's not the greatest place to start. And we've got baptism stories, whether or not that there are videos that we just showed, kid cannonballing, uh, people getting baptized at 2 a.m. Maybe if you're from northern Minnesota, you were baptized and you had to break through the ice. And you're just so proud of that moment because like, hey, look how dedicated I am. I had to break ice to get myself down into that water. That's how dedicated I am to the idea of baptism. Um, in in, uh, the last church I served at, we literally baptized a guy on his deathbed. And I don't mean that like figuratively. His bed and everything was baptized. He was dying and could not get out of bed. And we baptized him bed and all, cot and all. It took uh, a bunch of uh, hands to make this happen because that's how important, if you grew up in the Church of Christ, that's how important baptism was to you. Now, we're not going to negate the importance at all, but I think that we need to have a more full understanding of what baptism is and what baptism means. We know baptism. We love baptism. We know all the verses about baptism, right? If we had, you know, other churches, their main verse is maybe uh, John 3.16. What's our main verse? Yeah, I mean, that's our, that's our verse, Acts 2.38, right? I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, or maybe chapter 2. I put 3 down here, but there's 2 on the screen, so you'll have to look it up in your Bibles. That's why you should bring your Bibles, folks. Luke's, Luke chapter 2. 3. All right. Nobody's talking to me, but that's all right. When all the people were being baptized, now this is John the Baptist, and he's doing his thing. He's earning his nickname. Jesus was baptized too. 
Now, for those of you, for those of us, it's three. For those of us that grew, grew up in the Church of Christ, that's a little weird because we understand baptism to be for the forgiveness of sins. And what sins was Jesus forgiven for? Well, we have answers for that, but it's a little strange. Why would Jesus be baptized? But Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened up. Now, how cool would that be to witness this? You know, you get to see the clouds roll back. You know, you get to see heaven opening up. And then in the next verse, it says, the Holy Spirit descended on him bodily, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. What a neat what an interesting scene. What an interesting scene. Now, this is a familiar story, something that we understand. Um, but you need to know, I think, and most of us probably have a sense of this, but you need to know that baptism existed long before Christianity. Long before Christianity. Like, well, how does, what do you mean? That's kind of our thing. Long before the Church of Christ. Long, actually, even before Jesus was born, baptism was a thing that people did. Long before John the Baptist. He just got the nickname because he did it a lot. But it existed. There's a, there's a history behind this, where this came from. And when John came along, it just wasn't that strange of a thing to be doing. Um, and, and it seems that baptism came from some, some, some interesting places. And I want to just give you a quick history of baptism in a nutshell. Um, so if you're a good Old Testament student, you will recall that in Numbers chapter 15, verse 22, there's this verse that talks about if you commit a sin unintentionally. If you commit a sin unintentionally. What? It's hard enough to, to keep up with the intentional sins. You mean there's unintentional sins that I got to watch out for? Numbers 15, 22, Matt, if you want to go there. But if you commit a sin unintentionally, I'm going to uh, step off the stage. Ben, will you help me for a second? Absolutely. Yeah. He was just about to get on Facebook. and that's uh, All right. Your wife texted me, actually. Oh, my wife texted him. All right. Interesting. Come here. All right. Interesting, interesting. All right, so Ben is going to be our, um, our and, and I are going to be our unintentional sinners, right? We don't know what's going on. Now, if you read the Old Testament carefully, you'll notice there's some places in the Old Testament that describe some of these unintentional sins. So, for example, one of the things that would make you unclean, you know how Old Testament was very interested in cleanliness and purification, a thing that would make you unclean is walking over an unmarked grave, so if you walked over an unmarked grave, if there was somebody buried beneath this stage and we didn't know it, we're unclean. Uh-oh. All right. Now that's not good because how do you worship God if you're not clean? So let's say I walk over an unmarked grave. I'm unclean, but I don't know it. It's an unintentional sin. And then I go over and I shake Ben's hand. Hey, Ben, how are you doing? I just transferred that lack of cleanliness to Ben. Now Ben is unclean, but he doesn't know it. See, this is the tricky part. What do you do when you don't understand that you violated the law? Now, Ben doesn't know it. Now, Ben goes over to the youth group and he high fives a bunch of people. Unclean, 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 unclean. I mean, greeting time at church would be a disaster. You would just be getting people unclean left and right. Now, if, let's say, Ben accidentally touched a dead body. I don't mean a human body, any kind of dead body, right? Let's say he's cutting some, uh, this, this would be the case. Let's say he's cutting, uh, so he's cutting some pizza and he gets a little pepperoni on him. Well, guess what that is? That's a dead body. In fact, that's double whammy because it's pork and it's a dead body. And now he's unclean. Now, unless he says, hey, by the way, Patrick, uh, I am unclean. We can't fist bump today or we can't shake hands. Then he comes up and maybe he puts his hand on my shoulder. Hey, how are you doing, Patrick? I'm great. I'm unclean now. We're like, it's a disaster. You can imagine right and left people just making one another unclean. Now, 
if you cared deeply about the law, then you were like, okay, what do I have to do to make this right? How do I go offer the right sacrifices and do all the right washings, right? So you would say, what do I do? I got to wash myself just so. And the, and the Old Testament talks about, well, here, you wash your hands this way and you let the water drip off your elbow and all these kinds of rules that you can read commentaries on in the Old Testament. And so Ben would figure out like, man, I got to do this just right. But If he was just a normal human being that practices logic in the normal way, he would say, you know what? If washing myself a little bit is good, then washing myself a lot is better, right? If I really want to be right and prepare myself for God and not accidentally not get something clean that was supposed to be clean, I should probably just go dunk myself in order to be clean. That way I make sure every part of me is absolutely clean so I can offer sacrifices and I can interact with God in that way. Go ahead and sit down. Thank you, Ben, very much. Uh, So he would just get baptized. Oh, yeah. Round of applause for Ben. You did an excellent job. Excellent job acting unclean there. Um, So you would get baptized. You would get dunked. You would get immersed because you're like, I just want to make sure that everything is right. So it didn't matter necessarily if you knew you had committed a sin. These unintentional sins are there kind of haunt you and you just want to make sure you're right. And so by the time John the Baptist came along, these, uh, this practice of baptism was enacted for lots of different things, for many, many, many different things. And people, when they wanted to convert to Judaism, they would say, all right, let's get baptized. People who are like, you know what? <laughs> My life has not been good the last week. Let's just get baptized. And so when John came along and he's like, repent sinners, everybody was like, "Ooh, that's me. And then it was just a natural thing to get baptized. So he's down there in the Jordan River and he's baptizing people right and left. So these rules applied even if you were unaware, even if you had committed intentional or unintentional sins. How many of you committed unintentional sins? Yeah, all of us, right? All of us. We all committed unintentional sins. We've done things that God did not want us to do without even realizing it. My uh, sixth grade daughter, uh, going into middle school, they have to have a personal laptop in order to go to school. So if, if the, the, the bar for doing school stuff is not high enough, you've got to buy them a laptop to go to school. And it's just like, okay. So I, uh, you know, decided to buy one online off of like a Craigslist type site because I'm not going to pay I mean, she's going to spill soda on it or drop it or whatever. I'm not going to buy her a brand new laptop. I'm going to buy a secondhand laptop and let her use that. So I find one and I meet with, I agree to meet with this guy. And if you're smart, you don't go to their address. You know, he's like, oh, I live down a dark lane and there's not much light, but just come right on in. Don't mind the chainsaws, you know. No, you meet somewhere that is bright and well-lit, and there's lots of people. And so the guy suggested we meet at Chick-fil-A. Yeah, yes, that is a perfect place to meet, Chick-fil-A, because often online purchases, they don't show up, and it's a win-win, because if he doesn't show up, I still can eat Chick-fil-A. It's perfect. So he wants to meet at 9 o'clock at night. I was like, all right. So I drive over to the Chick-fil-A that he designated, and I go over. There's not a lot of uh, um, uh, people in the, the restaurant, but there's a guy standing outside the Chick-fil-A, and he's just kind of looking at his phone, just kind of leaned up against the wall, standing outside. And I don't, didn't, I, I was trying to match the voice with the person. I'm like, ah, that doesn't seem like the right look for the voice that, uh, that I was talking to, but whatever. So I go inside, and I don't see anybody inside that looks like they could be the right person. Don't see anybody that, you know, I didn't go up to anybody. So I'm like, you know, maybe it was that guy outside. Um, And now, I am innocent and naive, all right? I just want you to know that before I tell you what I did next. 
So I go up to this guy, he's on his phone outside, and I'm thinking in my mind, I'm here to purchase a laptop, and then the gentleman might be here to sell a laptop. And so I went up to him and I said, hey, you know, kind of quietly, excuse me, are you selling? (laughs) Now, it didn't dawn on me, it didn't dawn on me what dawned on a lot of you right there. This looks suspiciously like a drug deal here. Except I'm at a Chick-fil-A, right? And I happen to pick the right guy, and he's like leaning up against the wall, and he's like, yeah, what do you need? Oh, no. Now I get it. Now I'm like, oh, no. This guy has drugs, and I just asked him to buy drugs. How am I going to explain this when people read the police report in the newspaper? Preacher arrested for buying drugs. I don't know if they'd put preacher in there, but like, oh, no. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That's, that's not me. You know, because if a, if a policeman rolled up right there, he wouldn't be, if I told him, oh, uh, I work for a church and I'm here to buy a, a laptop, he would be like, come on, at Chick-fil-A, there's no way, this is not a believable story. He would assume that I was there. I would still probably spend the night in jail until I could unravel this mystery. And me and this guy had a little bit of conversation because that's my personality. And just without thinking, as I leave the conversation to go back inside, I'm like, hey, good luck. You know, like, wait, I don't want you to have luck. Stop selling drugs. That's not what we want at all. And the the guy ended up showing up inside. I couldn't believe it. It It's unintentional, totally unintentional, totally naive, totally dumb, right? Don't go up to people and ask if they're selling life lesson. It took a little while for me to learn that. But... And don't wish a drug dealer good luck. That is what's wrong with our society. So when you committed sins unintentionally in the old law, well, the response was to get clean and, and, and to get baptized and just wash your whole self to get back right with God if that's what you cared about. And so for, for, for centuries... Leading up to John the Baptist, baptism was this idea of baptism, of us, of man reaching out to God. That's what it was. It wasn't saying God is obligated to do anything, but it's man saying, God, I want to be right with you, so I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure that I'm right with you. It was man reaching out to God. So baptism is this familiar practice. People wanted to rededicate their lives. They wanted to convert to Judaism. They got baptized. Baptism was man declaring, I have decided, right? I have decided I want, I want to be right with God. I want to reach out to God. That's what baptism essentially was um, in, in uh, the first century when John the Baptist is doing his thing. But that's not the best part about baptism. This summer, um, we, uh, our family went to watch fireworks and my mom had kept telling me across the street from her house there was a big open field and uh, different guys from the neighborhood would go out, you know, and blow a big paycheck on, on fireworks. And she said it was pretty cool. You should come watch. And we had typically gone to the, the, the local fireworks display and it's just real crowded and cars and getting in and out. And uh, the year before I had missed fireworks and my little guy was very unhappy with that. And so I was like determined to make sure we watch fireworks this year. So I took my mom up on the offer and I thought, we'll just go over to this neighborhood and we'll see a couple of cool fireworks and it'll be, it'll be fine. Oh my goodness. I if I don't, I've never been in a war zone, 
but it felt like I had landed in the middle of a war zone. What happened was, is we walked over to some softball bleachers, and we were sitting down, kind of waiting for dusk to settle, chasing off mosquitoes and all that, and there were different pockets of people kind of setting up around us, and as it got dark enough, I mean, we were in the middle of this amazing fireworks display that was all around us. There was smoke everywhere. I mean, like, directly above us, the firework detritus, the, the stuff was falling on us. Like, wow, this is incredible. Probably Probably a little dangerous too now that I think about it, but it was amazing. You're just right in the middle of just these explosions and this, these clouds, and it was just, I th- and lights lighting up everything. I thought it was unbelievable, and it just kept going on and on and on and on. It was just amazing to watch fireworks from that environment. I don't know why you would go anywhere else. If you want to take your life into your own hands, you should come watch fireworks with my mom at her house on the 4th of July. It's unbelievable. Probably the best fireworks display I've ever seen, uh, again, because they're like 50 feet away you know, and then, I shouldn't tell you this, but one of the guys, I mean, because these are just like some guys from the neighborhood, like one of the fireworks got knocked over and it shot sideways at another group of people and they're scattering and like, unbelievable, really, really, really cool. I'd encourage you all to go. (laughs) When I was reading this verse, that's the picture that came to mind, that 4th of July display. Numbers 9, verse 15. On that day, the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was the pre-temple before the temple uh, was permanently built by Solomon. On that day, the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up and the cloud covered it. So the the Hebrew people are, they have this tangible representation of God's presence, this cloud covering uh, where God was. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. And I imagine as people like watched that or saw that, I mean, you could literally point to where God was. Imagine that. If somebody was like, hey, have you seen God? You could be like, yeah, he's over there. Take two lefts and then a right. And if you go past the giant fireball, you've gone too far. I mean, they could literally point to where God was. How amazing would that be, that sense of, 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 of awesomeness? In, in the cloud, in the fire. That would have been the holy, almighty, awesome presence of God. That would have been amazing. Well, Luke chapter uh, 3 goes on. 3, again, remember, not the reference on the screen. Luke chapter 3. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened up. God just peeled back the skies. This almighty, magnificent, awesome God peeled back the skies. And there he is, present at Jesus' baptism. How cool would this have been? This, this, this cloud, this fire, how cool would that have been? Would have been present there. And what I believe Jesus is teaching us, Jesus, the perfect man, the perfect representation of humanity, what Jesus is teaching us is that in baptism, we reach out to God, but Jesus shows us that in baptism, God reaches back. Now, this is cool, because when we talk about baptism, we talk about it in these legal contractual terms that I don't think do justice to what is actually going on, the display of relationship that is taking place at baptism. We reach out to God, and we're not obligating God to do anything, but God looks down at us, and God reaches back. He reaches back at baptism. He said, this is what I want you to do to show me that you're ready. This is an act of faith, and it reaches the grace of God. Oh, how beautiful is that? When we talk about, we can't, you, you just can't say, God, I got baptized, so you got to forgive me. That's just not the way it works. It's us saying, God, I'm preparing myself. I want to be around you. I want to be clean. I want to be with you. And Jesus shows us that God reaches 
back. So baptism is God searching for man. Maybe more accurately, we could say baptism is God saying, I have decided that I want you to be my child. Oh, that is to me a beautiful picture of what baptism is. It's so much better than like, you better get baptized because if a dump truck hits you on the way to the baptistry, you're in trouble. No, it's a relationship. It's man reaching to God and God reaching back to man. Now, what God says to Jesus here is special for Jesus, but I think we have something to learn that when, when we're baptized, we don't get to see heavens open up like that, but I believe that we get to see God saying to us, oh, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Oh, I think that's a wonderful thing for us as Christians to, to know and to understand. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. The Almighty, the Holy, the amazing presence of God comes down to live in man. The cloud and the fire and the tabernacle settles on the new temple. You and I. Oh, how amazing is that? God in us. Now you may be thinking, okay, that's great. I've been baptized. That's wonderful. I'll, I, I'm all for that. But you might be thinking, you know what? I'm not sure that my life reflects God in me to the degree that I, I think it maybe should if God is coming to live in me. I'm not sure that my life reflects God in me. Let me just say two quick things to people who are feeling like I was baptized and what you're talking about, I don't know, maybe I should get rebaptized. I don't know. Now I'm all nervous and I don't know what to do. Let me just say a couple things to you uh, if you've been baptized and this is something you're think about, uh, thinking about. Uh, number one is maybe you are not as far along as you'd like in your faith, in your walk with God, but understand that maybe you're farther along than you would be, right? Maybe you're not as far along as you like, and you want to be more patient and kind and gentle and generous. But maybe you're farther along than you would be without God living in you. Maybe God's got to do some renovation in there and he's working hard to make it happen. But secondly, just think about this. What if you walked around life with an awareness that God was in you? What if you left this room just having an awareness of God, the cloud, the fire settling on you? What if you walked around life with an awareness that God is in you? Oh, man, I think that would change us. And so what I think that we need to do as Christians who are thinking through this idea is, sure, yeah, we need to teach people and talk to people. And, and if you're not baptized, you need to get baptized. But if you are baptized, let me say this, you need to live out your baptism, you need to live out your baptism. You need to live out the fact that God is in you. You need to live with an awareness of that. That needs to inform your choices. That needs to inform your, your work. That needs to inform the way you interact with your husband or wife. That needs to inform the way you interact with your children. That way it needs to inform the way you interact with other drivers on the road. That needs to inform when you wake up and you look out and you see snow. That needs to inform the response that you have to seeing that. Baptism, God living in you, needs to inform your life. And if it's not, you need to live with an awareness of God in you. This is for all of us, whether we've been baptized or not. We either need to get baptized or we need to live with an awareness of God in us. Baptism provokes a lot of questions, and so maybe some of you are sitting here thinking, you know, do I have to? Do I have to? Maybe. We get that a lot, us uh, Church of Christ people, when we talk about this subject. We get a lot of, do I have to? Is it necessary? That kind of question. Um, I was at one of those big box retailer type places where they don't have a ton of stuff, but what they do have, you can buy way more than you would ever need of it. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you need a 76-ounce can of beans. You're like, I don't know why, but you need it. And I was at one of those places, and, and my wife had asked me to get uh, baking powder. Baking powder. And I needed to keep that in mind, because it's evidently different than baking soda. 
Baking powder is a different thing. And so I'm wandering around this big box retailer, and I'm doing my typical thing where I try to search for it myself, and then I can't find it, and then I think I should ask a guy, and then I say, no, I can find it, and I search for a little bit longer, and then finally break down and ask the guy. So I go up to this kid who's stocking shelves, and I say, uh, can, I get, uh, can, can you tell me where the baking powder is? And this is what he said. He said, what is baking powder? <laughs> and first of all, two things. In my mind, I'm saying, I don't know. <laughs> I have zero clue what it is. No idea. But I think all we need to know about baking powder is in the name. I think it's powder with which you bake. And he said, so this is what, he's like, what is baking powder? And I'm like, uh, and this is my answer to him. I'm like, baking powder. That's what I said to him. Well, how else do you break it down? There's no more components to that. That's it. That's what it is. It's very straightforward. I don't know what else you say. Now listen, church. I'm not sure that we can make baptism any more simple than what God has made it. Hey, you want a, the pledge of a clean conscience towards God, as First Peter talks about? You want the forgiveness of sins? You want to wash away your sins like Galatians uh, 3.27 talks about? Clothe yourself with Christ. Uh, if you want those things, it's baptism. There's not much more that we can break down. There you go. It's man reaching out to God. It's God reaching back. That's what it is. It's very straightforward and simple. But I want you to think about when we ask questions like, like is it necessary? What, when, why, where, how? When we overcomplicate something that is simple and beautiful by asking questions like, like that. We tend to miss the entire point. Do you really think about, it? is baptism necessary? Well, do you want God to live in you? Do you want to reach out to God? Do you want God to come down and make his presence? Do you want to be a temple of the Holy Spirit? Then we, those are the wrong questions to ask. Do you want a relationship with God? Then why, would, why do we go around asking these legal, contractual types questions when we're talking about a relationship? Baptism is baking powder. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. And, and if that's something, a choice that you need to make, then let's make it. Let's talk about it. If you need your questions asked, let's talk about it. I told you I love, I won't say arguing, I love talking about baptism. I love talking about it. Let's talk about it. But if you have been baptized, if the cloud and the fire has come down, the Spirit has come down to dwell in you, then you need to live that out. You need to live your baptism out. Let's pray. And then we're going to be dismissed. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Instead of just uh, automatically leaving, if you wouldn't mind transitioning down the hallway um, to the baptistry, I'm going to maybe ask somebody if they haven't already to take the covers off, and we'll get ready for that in there. Maybe you'll sing a song or two. Uh, and then we're going to witness someone reaching out to God and God reaching back. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for your word, for your truth. Lord, we thank you for the simplicity uh, of so much obedience. Lord, it is simple, but it is deep. And we just pray that as we wrestle with some of these ideas, I don't know where everyone in the room is. I don't know where their heads are, where their thoughts are. But God, I pray that we would take seriously, seriously this idea of us reaching out to you, uh, but also of you reaching back to us. Thank you for giving us this unique and amazing um, opportunity to, to express our faith to you, 
Lord, and to know that there's a point in time in which that we have crossed that threshold into a relationship with you. Lord, we thank you uh, for this wonderful means of, of interacting with you. And we pray today as we think through uh, what this means, we pray that those that have been baptized would learn to live with an awareness of you inside them. And we pray for those that are still wrestling with the idea, that are still toying with the idea, that still have questions. We pray that they would seek answers today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.